0: guys, and we pray for you all the time, and we just, yeah, I mean, we just can't get enough of you, and so um it, it's a privilege to come and, and hang out with you for a couple of days, and I just, I want to just, you know, in case you don't know me, I just want to say, man, I feel like I'm coming to family, you know, I mean, we're brothers and sisters, Um, you know, I mean, most of us in the room, or a lot of us in the room are part of Advance, and it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels like being with family, which is cool, you know, it's like, it's just, it's a great thing, it's a great moment, and um, as we kind of take some time and just consider what, it does, what does it actually mean to advance, you know, and so many churches are retreating and so many, you know, Christians are retreating and so many churches are sort of putting their heads in the sand and pretending, you know, that it's, you know, it's not as bad out there as it looks and, you know, waiting at the proverbial bus stop for the chariot to come and swoop them into the sky and um, what does it really mean to do this, to advance the gospel and I just, I'm so stoked um, and, and to be honest with you, I'm so daunted um, at what we're about to talk about, I really am. Um, I mean, I'm daunted on one level because I really respect all of you, and I don't feel like I'm necessarily better or anything like that. I, I mean, you know, many of you guys have been doing ministry, some of you longer than I've been alive. I mean, that's, I mean, Matt, that's a big deal, you know. <laughs> and um, and um, and I think more daunted just by the, I mean, just the stats of your nation. And, um, you know, having a chance, as Matt said, I've spent time in various, you know, pockets of, um, of England, and I'm going to be in Wales over the weekend, um, and just the, 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 the amount of people that don't know Jesus in this country. And they're not like people in, where I live, where they don't know Jesus, but they think they do, and they'll, you know, they'll fight you to the death, you know, if you say they don't, like that, like just the amount of people who just just don't care, you know, um, I mean, hearing you know some of you say you know, point this percent or ninety-two percent of our and just it's just just, ma- like, just massive amounts of people in your country that don't know Jesus. And so, I mean, while I'm glad we're gonna hang out and get to you know know each other better and sing some songs and talk about some things, and at the end of the day, like why we're here is because this like country needs Jesus, yes. you know. And um, like it or not, we're the hope of we're the hope of England and Wales. I mean could hope for some, I mean, something a little better than this, but this is what we got, you know? And, um, and, um, yeah. So I I just, I actually want to just pray again. Um, just considering, I mean, it's, it's great that we, we fix our eyes on Jesus. That's how we should start. That's how we should do things. But man, as we just consider the loss, as we consider the, the magnitude of the mission, it's good just to just, just turn to Jesus again and, and just say, Jesus, we need you. Um, it is impossible for us to save one person on our own, let alone the millions of people who need you in this country. We are so helpless and so hopeless. We are, we are just absolutely undone by the amount of work that needs to be done. But we turn to you who was lifted up so you could draw all men to yourself, who builds your church, who, who offensively takes on with your church the gates of hell. And we just say, help us, put courage into us, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, teach us and instruct us and lead us. And God, I pray we'd leave feeling um, not just we had great time together and time and worship, but that we leave feeling like we've got some some more clarity, maybe a little bit more clarity on on what what we can do to to better love and serve and reach the the people that you've put around us, Jesus. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Cool. yeah, yeah, these times are rich, man, they're good, they're good. We, we, um, we know one thing about the magnitude of this task, we, we really need God, and we really need each other, you know? We really need God, and we really need each other, and so this is rich stuff. Um, just a bit about me, in case you don't know me, um, my wife is in the back, Jill, if you'd wave or something that way, people don't look at the wrong lady. Yeah, that's Jill, not, not the guy sitting next to her, and... Um, <laughs> I've got two kids that um, you guys were so gracious to help come across with us on this trip because it's two weeks, and it was long, and it's just been great. Jed, our four-year-old, and um, Wyatt, who's 18 months old, and um, it is a privilege to, to be here with them. Um, we planted a church in my hometown in a little town off um, off the coast of North Carolina about seven years ago. The church is called One Harbor, and um, grew quickly, and just lots of unsaved folks, and um, Um, You know, some church folks obviously coming, but like just just tons and tons of unsaved folks. And one of the things that we learned right away is just mission is messy. Um, My friend Tyler Jones says that mission is messy, and um, and and the more people that were coming to Jesus, the more messy things got. It just got messy. You know, Um, it wasn't like people didn't like they didn't like want to show up. You know, like during office hours. They wanted to call you at three in the morning, and then they knock on your door at your house. And you're like, "How'd they get our address?" You know, and then they 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 wouldn't you wouldn't answer the door, and so they come look through the windows, and like they just it was just messy. People just, I mean, I could tell you off offline some stories. There's just not a playbook for some of this stuff. I mean, yeah. Anyway, just messy stuff, and I know a lot of you guys know the same. Um, and so folks were getting saved; they were messy people, um, and they were bringing their messy friends, and we were realizing more and more. Man, we want to try to reach. We want to try to reach people like this. Our second Sunday um, of our church plant, we were meeting in a living room. We had about eight people, so we were a cult um, by all definitions. And um, and this guy shows up, and he's you know he says, hey, he's like I got ten minutes, and I got to leave. And I was like, well, it's church, and it lasts longer than ten minutes. Um, I'll be fast, but that's all, I mean, it's going to take longer than that. So he comes in, and he's um, very distracting the whole time. He's getting up, answering phone calls. I mean, there's only like nine or so people in the room. You know, anything's distracting at that point, let alone a guy walking around talking on his cell phone, you know, very loudly. Um, anyway, I keep wanting to say to the guy, hey, I think your 10 minutes is up, you know? I mean, don't you have somewhere you got to be, you know? But I'm trying to be... <laughs> gracious and all that. And anyway, guy stays the whole time. Guy comes again the next night. Guy comes again to something on Wednesday night, shows up at a leader's meeting. I mean, he's just coming to everything. And um, (laughs) there the next Sunday, you know, and then the next week he shows up at my house, knocks on the door. I don't answer. Goes and looks through the windows, yelling preacher, you know, that kind of thing. So I finally come outside and um, he says, hey, preacher, his name's Derek. And he just, he's awesome. Um, Anyway, he says, hey, and some of you guys have heard the story, but just, yeah. Just to kind of help you see the messiness. This was week, this is really week one. We showed up on a Friday. This is like, you know, a week and a half later, um, of the church plant. He says, Do you know where I had to be when I said I had 10 minutes? I said, No, Derek, I I don't know. He's like, I thought you want to know. He's like, I was gonna go kill myself. I was just like, whoa, you know, like he just said, Man, I I I've been a drug addict for years, you know, followed the grateful dead, sold acid. I mean, he was just crazy, you know just said, I, They told me if I got sober, I'd be happy. I've been sober for five years, and I'm just as miserable, and I was gonna go kill myself. But somebody the night before invited me to your church. We weren't even a church, we were like, you know, a cult in the living room, you know? And um, he said, I was on my way to kill myself, and I drove past the house, and I said, I'll give him 10 minutes. Now the guy's saved, obviously baptized, got married, has kids. He helped us plant one of our sites. He's on the worship team there, and now he's in our eldership development program. And I won't be shocked. If the dude plants a church um, and it, you know, he I might end up handing one harbor over to him. I don't know. It's, it's just um, amazing what has happened with this guy. But right away he began to bring all of his messy friends and just got, like I said, messy. So um, the reality was, then I was like, well, faced with, okay, like we like the idea of people like this showing up to church, but how do we, what do we do with them? You know, I mean, I I've got to rethink how we say things. I was always feeling like on the back foot every time I went to say something in a sermon, or call something, or name something, or plan something. I was always thinking about Derek and his friends, and it was so it was just God's kindness to us because I didn't just I didn't just do things like I would have done things if we were all already Christians. You know, it was just a real gift to us. And through the years, really, is what helped us shape. I think looking back on it, helped us shape ministry. Um, the way that we did and, and put us really you know, in a place where we always feel a bit on the back foot, always trying to anticipate what people like that need and what they're thinking and what will make sense to them. And so um, I want to just kind of talk sort of this first session about what it looks like to build a church that exists for mission. And I'm going to hit the ground running because we don't have a lot of time and it's going to be a bit of a fire hose. And this is recorded, and so you can go take notes later if you want. So um, I want to start off with the premise that I'm working on, which I think is theologically sound, um, and that is that we get a lot of choices in how to do ministry. We do, we get a lot of choices in how we do ministry. There's just tons of options, but I think we arrive at ministry thinking we have very few options. I don't think we know, I don't think we verbalize that, but I think subconsciously we roll into planting a church or a site or something, some kind of ministry, we roll into that thinking that, that really, the, 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 you know, the die has been cast and we've, we've basically got very little margin of what we wiggle room of what we can and can't do, and we've been so influenced by our personal experience and our heroes and the churches we've been a part of, but I think we get a lot of freedom. I mean, strangely, regardless of the fact that you and I are meeting in different cities, you and I are meeting in different countries, in different cities, and, and all of us are meeting in different buildings, and we're reaching different people, strangely, in light of all that, most of what we're doing is the exact same. I mean, if we went from church to church to church, we might even meet on the same time, sing the same songs, everything, very similar, right? We're doing very many things the exact same way, and, and, and yet we all meeting in different places, reaching different people. So either we don't think we have options, or we haven't spent very much time thinking about why we're doing what we're doing. So let me read a Bible verse before someone has a heart attack. Um, 2 Corinthians um, 6, this is in light of this context. Paul is in, you know, in you know, 2 Corinthians 5 with, We're ministers of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ. I and mean, he's just laying it down. And we're like, hallelujah. He gets into 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1 and 2. And he turns into Billy Graham. And he says, you know, today's the day. Now's the time. Like, Come on down. Like, this is it. Save, you know, save, 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 save. It's just beautiful. <laughs> And for the many years, I stopped reading right there. I never made it to verse 3, where Paul says this. In light of all this context of evangelism and mission and ministers of reconciliation and ambassadors for Christ, he says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Huge. He says, our ministry. You know what he's doing? He's taking responsibility. He's taking ownership for the how he does things. He's taking ownership for that. You know, what you're doing is your ministry. It's not anyone else's fault that you do what you do. You're choosing to do it. I'm choosing to do things the way I'm choosing to do things. I don't think anyone's had a gun to any of our heads, you know, saying, hey, you better, you know, start the meeting at 930 and, you know, do this and do that. We, we, we're doing what we're doing because we want to do those things, because we chose to do those things. And Paul's saying, look, I'm taking ownership of, of the way I do ministry, And in light of that, I'm going to put no obstacle in anyone's way. I don't want anyone to be able to find fault with our ministry. We get a choice, and Paul's saying, I'm going to choose not to make this more complicated than it needs to be. I'm going to choose because I want people to get saved, because I have a ministry of reconciliation, because I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm going to choose to take out any of the obstacles I can take out because I don't want to make this overcomplicated. I've chosen, I think Paul's communicating, he's chosen to make this as straightforward as he possibly can. And so now there's lots of choices we don't get. Like, oh, I don't really want to use the Bible. Sorry, not your choice. I don't really want to preach the gospel. Sorry, not your choice. I don't want to call sin, sin. Sorry, not your choice, right? There's lots of things that are already chosen for us, but how we apply, we have lots of cho- choices. We have lots of options. And some of you just, hey, mate, that'll just set you free. You never thought about it. You're just doing what the church that you were part of did because they did what the church they were part of did, because they did what, and you've never thought about time has changed, and locations changed, and people have changed, and you're different, and the whole thing, you know? So in light of all that, in light of that premise, we get a lot of choices that I think is theologically sound. Let's look at um, what it looks like to be a church on mission, and first, I think, man, it's just helpful to think, what does that even mean? You just say that. I'm on mission. We're missional. What does that mean? We read a book about it, or we did a sermon on it, or what does it mean? Um, I, think, I think for us, one of the first things we're all doing, and sorry, if this is like an intro for some of you. I don't know where everyone's coming from. So I think part of what we have to do at the beginning is redefine what success looks like. We do that for ourselves. We got to do that for our leaders. We got to do that for our church. Redefine what success looks like. Why are we left on planet earth? You know how much easier it would be to sing all the songs we sang right now if we were in heaven? Way easier, right? Because we wouldn't be distracted and thinking about lunch and, you know, all the stuff we've got to do or just, you know, sin or whatever. We, you know, we we would just be just in his presence. It'd be so much easier. So why aren't we there, right? I have a friend um, named Terry Kruger who used to say, you know, if if the only thing we were supposed to do is just, you know, grow in holiness and worship and read our Bibles, you know, when we get saved, someone should take us out back and shoot us because it would be so much easier, you know? I don't apologize in advance for the amount of you know, gun, hunting, military things that will come out. I am who I am, and I'm sorry if it offends you. Um, we do eat what we shoot. Um, so that, I've told, is helpful to know. Um, but it would, be, it would be so much easier because it's, it's like the Christian life is hard. I mean, if all we're supposed to do is try to be good Christians and read our Bibles and sing songs and pray prayers, it would be so much easier in heaven. We should get instantly raptured when we pray the sinner's prayer, and yet God doesn't do that. He leaves us here, and so why? I love uh, John Piper, um, which I know for some of you will be as good as reading another Bible verse. Um, uh, Piper says this. He says, mission exists because worship doesn't. Probably heard this before. Let the nations be glad, right? Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. This is really good stuff to remember, right? Right? Worship's ultimate, not missions, because God's ultimate, not man, right? Um, When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before God, missions will be no more. Amen, John Piper. But have you turned the news on lately? We're not in heaven yet, right? Right? So that means we have work to do. This age isn't over. We have no business standing at the proverbial bus stop waiting for our chariot in the sky. We are on mission. That's why we are here we aren't dead yet. You might feel dead after a couple years of church planning, right? Your people aren't dead yet, and we aren't allowed to act dead or let our people act dead, right? We're not supposed to play possum until Jesus comes back. You guys have that phrase here? Yeah, yeah. Do you have possums here? No. If you don't, I want to move here because i they eat our chickens. It's just a mess. Anyway, we shoot those, but don't eat them. So, um, <laughs> um, um, you and I, we don't, as, as leaders, as pastors, we don't exist to entertain Christians, constantly trying to entertain them, or as they get older, work with them to plan out their funerals in a potluck. You know, that, that we, that's not why we're here. It was a real moment where we, we said that on a Sunday to our church. We addressed the older people in the room and said, we're just not here to plan your funeral. You're not dead yet. You're not. Get some Caleb in you and like, let's talk about the next mountain for you. That way when you do die, we can like celebrate you. You know, we can really say, man, like, listen to the Bible. This is just incredible. Psalm 107.2, sorry, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, not pray to get out of this hell hole. Let them say so. Let them do something. Let 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 them talk about how they've been redeemed. Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's not just on Sundays from 9 till 9.45 or 10.45 or whatever your church does, right? This is why we're redeemed and why we still have breath, so we can say so. And it's up to you and I as leaders to redefine what success looks like. We're not trying to pull off good Sunday services. We're not trying to keep the saved saved. I had a pastor in town tell me a few years ago, a pastor's a large church in our small town, and he says... Um, I'm really glad we, as pastors, we're really glad God brought you as One Harbor to the city. I was like, "Wow, thanks." I haven't heard that ton, so that's awesome. And he said, um, "I mean, God's called all of us to keep the saved saved." And I just think, man, it's great how God brought you guys here to reach all the sinners. I was like, <laughs> "What? How did I draw the short straw on that one?" Like, you get to hang out and play golf with all your Christian friends, and I have drug dealers calling me in the middle of the night, and my wife's crying, and this whole like, I mean. None of us get to re- just reach. I mean, theologically, it doesn't even make sense. God keeps the saved saved. That's what the Bible says. This guy's trying to do God's job. Um, it's not just good enough that we, um, you know, sometimes we think, well, we're, we've done this. We've done this. We have communicated, you know, we, we've we've said this is what success looks like, and we did it on January in our vision series, or we, you know, do it once a year on this thing, or uh, that's that's not enough. it's like what Luther said about the gospel. We have to beat it into people's heads repeatedly. I love that. To beat it into people's heads over and over again. A friend of mine says that um, vision drifts every 30 days. Every 30 days, vision's like just drifted. So you can preach on something now and 30 days from now, do a survey in your church and see how many people are living in that. I'm I'm going with a goose egg. I, I think very few people would be like, yeah, brother, I heard it once and that was enough. Vision drifts. And so you did a series on mission two years ago, or you did a thing on it in January, it's already over. We have to beat it into people's heads repeatedly, right? Mm. So we have to redefine success. We have to beat it into people's heads. How do we achieve this? I think the next thing we have to do is clarify what the mission is for people. Clarify what it is. Clarify it for yourself. Clarify it as a team. Clarify it to your church. What is the mission of our church? Like, the the Bible doesn't say you have to have a mission statement for your church. All I'm saying is if you don't, somebody will come up with one for you. (laughs) Like, it's up for interpretation if you don't spell it out. This is what we're here to do. And, and, And sometimes we know, well, we got a mission statement, but it's so complex. I mean, it hits every single theological wicket that could ever, you know, but no one has a clue what it means. Here's a little test. If right now we put a microphone in front of your elders' faces and they couldn't state your mission statement, you need to change it, right? It's not a good one if your elders don't even know it, right? Um, It should be simple. It should be clear. It should be something that not just you and your elders, but every single... You should want 85 to 90% of the people in the room in your church to be able to state right off the bat, this is the mission of our church. Because everyone is interpreting a mission statement. So you have to tell them what it is. You have to clarify what it is, or they come up with another conclusion. Ours is um, ours is make disciples and push back darkness all for the sake of the gospel. Um, it's simple for us. It involves this, this, those tensions of we want to make disciples, but we also want to be on mission. We want to push back darkness, and the two aren't at odds. The two actually make sense together. You can't actually make a mature disciple who's not on mission. I mean find that in the Bible. Oh, Peter, no, it's, I, I'm not into reaching my friends. I'm into just studying, you know, end times charts or whatever like that. It's not in the Bible. Um, we we um, don't say it every 30 days. We say it every single Sunday. We weave it in all the time. We say it at the end of the service. I, I heard a buddy do this, and it just was like, man, that's great. You know, we, we kind of, we end the service like this. You know, we'll say, hey, guys, we have six days between Sundays. And those aren't wasted days. Those aren't just like, Do whatever you want days, and then come back Sunday, and we'll, no, guys, those are days for mission. And then we say our mission statement. Guys, in our church, and we got it on slide, and we're saying it, we're here to make disciples. We're here to push back darkness all for the sake of the gospel. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. And then in case they forgot it on their way out, it's in huge letters on the walls, (laughs) right? Um, And so just just clarify the mission and put it before people all the time. We're, We're prone to forgetfulness as Christians. Think about what Jesus said as he's he's breaking bread and says, this is my body, and he's pouring out wine, he says, this is my blood, you think, well, gosh, if anything, they're going to remember, it's this. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. What's Jesus communicating? You're going to forget. Just like that, you're going to start doing this in your own strength. You're going to try to save yourself. You're going to forget my body was broken. My blood was shed. You're going to need to do this a lot to remember me. We're just prone to forgetfulness, So we're not here to keep the saved saved. If anything, we're here to keep the saved on mission. So once you redefine the mission uh, success, and once you clarify it, are people just going to naturally go do it? No. We have to lead them. We have to actually lead people into the mission. Here's the thing. Go back and study the Bible. See for it yourself. God, God's people have never obeyed God's call willingly. Never. It is always, every single time, it is taken determined, godly leaders to get God's people to go where God wanted them to go. It won't be different with your church. It won't be different with my church. We have to lead them. In fact, I think the very definition of leadership is taking someone somewhere they wouldn't have gone on their own. If they would have already gone there, they don't need a leader. You all always just walking somewhere, right? <laughs> the fact that leading is, is, is required is because you're saying... You won't go there unless I take you there. You're not going to go there willingly. You don't know how to get there. I do. Follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, this is the this, this sense in which that's what leadership really is. God's people have historically not wanted to go where God wanted them to go. It's not a new phenomenon that we say, go, and they don't budge. That's not new. That, I mean, take heart in case you're like, gosh, my people are so much harder than everyone. No, they're just like everybody else. They don't want to do it. They say, no, I like it here. In fact, it was better back there. Remember all the meat we ate with Pharaoh? It was awesome. No, it wasn't. Get up. We're going that way, you know? Um, From the earliest days of the people of God, they've resisted God's call, and it takes strong leadership to move them. I mean, it's not just like the Old Testament. Think about the disciples, all right? I mean, some of you guys have thought about this before. We've talked about this before, but think about how fast they forgot the mission of Jesus. He gives them the great commission, Right? And then he um, tells them that his spirit's going to come, and they're going to go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then he launches like a rocket into the sky. And, and instantly what happens, if you've if you read Acts, um, it, it, it's like if Acts, Acts 1, where it ends there, um, there's actually no there's just blank between Acts 1 and, and, and the end of Acts 28, because what happens is they just go and do what Jesus said, right? And then he comes back and returns, and it's this beautiful thing. That's not what happens, right? They're still standing there. Jesus launches into heaven, and already they're, they're disobeying him. And so an angel comes along and says, <clears throat> why are you staring into heaven? Because uh, Jesus just did like a NASA thing, like into the sky. Did you see it? It was incredible, and we're watching it because it's awesome. And the angel says the equivalent of, he'll be back. Now go do what he said. Hey, that Jesus is coming back. Don't worry, he'll come back. Now, let's go so fast. We're so prone to just standing and staring rather than going and doing. That's not just your people. That's all people. So we're not trying to keep them saved. If anything, we're trying to keep them from shooting each other, <laughs> using the sword of the Spirit on each other. Boredom sets in when there's no mission, and we begin to use, we begin to use, you know, uh, the things that we could use for mission, we use on each other. It's all this drama. I mean, in fact, I think churches, most churches are loaded with so much drama because they've forgotten mission. We're so bored, we just turn on each other. It's like Lord of the Flies in a lot of our churches because we've just forgotten mission. We have to rethink everything we do in light of mission. Think about this. If you, um, if you thought we were going to drive from here to London, you start out with a set of directions, Right? what if you found out midway to London, oh my gosh, we're not driving to London, we're driving to Wales. Are those directions gonna get you there? No. You're gonna have to go back, maybe backtrack a bit. You have to take some different turns. You have to do some different things because the destination's different. Well, some of us started off thinking that for us, ministry was we're just gonna pull off a good Sunday. Maybe we thought we were just supposed to keep the save saved or keep them entertained or keep them happy or keep them from killing each other. Um, and now we, we, we start to realize that there's... there's um, there's something different. That's a destination. Success looks different, right? It looks like engaging our city and reaching the lost and being on mission. Well, that's a different destination than keeping them saved and keeping them entertained and just that's a different destination. And so, some things are going to have to change. You can't get there using the same directions you had, right? Um, and so, I want to just I want us to think through some of those things. Um, kind of using three of the main elements, three of, you know, of some of the main elements that we have in church, how we make disciples, how we use you know, community, and how we bring through leaders. Um, if mission is the destination, right? Um, if, that's, if that's the destination that we're going to, we should be making disciples for the mission. What if, we, what if we went into someone getting saved thinking we have to get them to the point where they can reach their friends? We have to find out how they can go back and change the subculture they came out of. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Native Americans in America, and um, he would um, create these these European colonies, and he would pull people out of these these Native Americans. He'd pull them out of their teepees and out of their their villages, and he would bring them to these European colonies he built, and he'd make them live in these homes, and he'd make them dress in European clothes, and he'd change their names to European names. And then after a couple years, he'd send them back, to their village. You know what happened? They got persecuted and alienated, and not even their family wanted anything to do with them. They had been disowned by their culture because he was westernizing them, not Christianizing them, right? Um, This has happened a lot of times if you study missiology throughout history, and I think we do the same thing. People come to our, they come, they get saved, and we we start working on a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter because we don't like it. You have to change your clothes. You have to change your style of music. Oh, you got to stop smoking. You got to stop this. You got to cut your hair different. I mean, we just historically, we change all the stuff that doesn't matter. And then they try to go back and reach their friends, and it doesn't work. We're making disciples of Jesus, not clones of us. And we're not trying to, we shouldn't be primarily interested with everyone else accepting them, right? We're making missionaries. We're shaping them. They're like newborn babies, Scripture says. They don't know the difference. Our little boy, Wyatt, he's 18 months old. He'll drink whatever we put in a bottle and stick in his mouth. He's not going, oh, that's poison. Sorry, not supposed to drink it. He doesn't know yet. Oh, that's, that's, that's soda. That's not good for me. No, he doesn't know. He's stick it in a bottle and give it to him, he'll drink it. And, and these, these guys who get saved, they're like newborn babies. It's up to us to tell them what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing, right? It's like when you first learn to tie your shoes. You're just zeroed in. They're like, what am I supposed to do with these two strings? How do I make that thing? I don't know. And everything you're hearing, you're, you're incorporating it into, it's essential, it's essential, it's essential. And that's why we make it so simple. Like you take a bunny, goes around a tree, goes through a hole, it comes back. Hey, ta-da, you tied a shoe, you know? Um, we, we, we're making it very, we're trying to make it very simple. And these are the essentials. These are the things you have to know. We're not saying, and you know what you could do? You could take strings and tie this knot, and then it goes like this, and then you could do that, and this is a sailor knot. And by the way, um, we're not saying any of that stuff. We're only telling them what they have to know so they can tie their shoes. Because they, they they're zeroed in. And when people come to Jesus and they're brand new, they're just zeroed in. And sometimes we, we don't even teach them how to tie their shoes. We teach them a bunch of other stuff that doesn't matter. And what we've done is we've engrossed people into a Christian subculture. And we're excited because now they listen to DC talk instead of Led Zeppelin. And that's a sin in itself. It's worse. I mean, it's crazy how many, I've seen how many like new Christians the first thing people hand them is some kind of like, here's how you plot the end times, you know, like chart thing. Like, good gracious. That's what they should be doing, you know? So what if we made disciples for the mission? What if we were like, if, you know, so Tim Keller says that um, the gospel isn't the ABCs of, of Christianity. It's the A through Z. Mission's the same. Mission is not D through Z after you get the gospel. Mission is A through Z as well right? Because look at people who Jesus, they, as soon as they got saved, he was commissioning them. Gerasene demoniac. The guy hasn't gone to Bible college or anything. Jesus said, you're going to go tell all your friends how I had mercy on you. And then they marveled, and it was just incredible what happened. So mission is part A through Z, and gospel is part A through Z. It's, it's not like we pick it up later. Oh, we'll teach you mission, you know, nine months in, and we really think you're, no, by then it's too late. They've learned everything they shouldn't do, right? Make disciples for the mission. Use community for the mission. If you, if you, community is a beautiful thing. We love community. We love community groups. We, love, we want people to care for each other. We want all that stuff. But if you make community first, you never get mission. If you aim at community, you never get mission. My friend John Murphy says that. But if you aim at mission first, you show people they can get along with anybody. They can have community with anybody, right? Um, when the bullets start flying, anybody who's not shooting at you, you can work with, Right? Um, that, that's just how it goes. And when mission becomes the, like the goal, man, together as a community, we're going to be on mission. We're going to reach our city. You, you find that, um, you don't have time for all this pettiness. these constant counseling sessions of people who don't like this about each other and all this silly stuff. Just get over it. Time's ticking. We got to reach our city. Let's just get over it and get back up, quickly forgive each other and move on. Right? Um, Bring through um, leaders for the sake of the mission. We don't just need people who show up early for prayer and can lead a meeting and went to Bible college. The previous criteria of what it meant for us to to, for someone to be a leader, if mission is now a thing too, well, some of that stuff maybe needs to get added to the list. You know, think about the Bible says, you know, they should also have a good reputation with outsiders. That doesn't have anything to do with leading a meeting, but it's important according, according to the Bible, Right? How can it? do they know how to engage lost people and reach lost people? I'm personally trusting for indigenous leaders for every single subculture in our area. Because I know they're going to reach, they're going to reach them better than me. I'm praying, God, I want to see, I want to see every single subculture represented in our leadership team, indigenous leadership. Because I don't want to just pull off a Sunday. I want to start an indigenous people movement. I want to wreck and ruin my, my part of our state. I want to wreck and ruin it for the gospel. And I'm gonna need a, a ton of indigenous leaders to do that. Look at the, the leaders you're raising up. Are, are they is the process of which you're raising up, does it include mission? If not, it's just perpetuating the problem. It's passing it off to another generation. Make make mission part of what you do to bring through leaders. It's not just good enough. I mean it's like watch these guys come out of Bible college. They they can answer everything right on a test, but if you stick them in a pub, they they're clueless right? They're going to get beat up, right? <laughs> how, how do we, how do we add mission to all that other stuff, right? Watch out for people who want to come join your church plant, but don't love your city. God told me to. Okay, well, if God's actually sending you here, God will put a love for you, this city in your heart, because I don't want you here if you don't love our city, because what good are you going to be to us? I had a good friend who, um, Somebody went and joined their church plant, and all they did the whole time was talk bad about the city. They actually ended up leaving, and they caused a bunch of people in the church to want to leave as well. They're like, oh, yeah, this city's terrible. Don't let that happen to you. We'll talk about Sunday mornings and personal life and stuff more later, but settle in your heart. You're going to do whatever it takes. Draw a line in the sand. Be willing to change anything. Be willing to, to change anything. Be willing to, be willing to lose people who aren't, who aren't up for this. This is just not what I want, okay? And can we show it to you again in the Bible? It's still not what I want, okay? Maybe, maybe this is not the church for you anymore. Be willing to lose people. It's going to happen. Um, a couple more quick things. One, run to the sound of the guns. Um, when trouble happens, you know, when there's tension, run to it, not from it, Right? It's just basic leadership. You're in a community group where you're washing dishes. You're hearing these two people talking behind you. And, oh, can you believe so-and-so shut up tonight? I hate that person. Yeah, yeah. You don't just, like, keep washing dishes like, la, 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 la. You just put down the dishes, you two outside. Hey, that's not how we talk about people in this church. That's not how we treat people. You're running through the tension, right? You should do that in mission as well. Don't tiptoe around the hot topics. Ooh, can't talk about this, can't talk about this. No, talk about it. In fact, those are the only things we probably have time to talk about right? Ta- run to the tensions. Um, Jesus in Matthew 9, he, 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 um, he says to a paralytic who's brought in, um, he says, your sins are forgiven, which if the paralytic you know, is honest, he's probably thinking, awesome, what about my legs, right? Um, but, but that's not who we hear about. What we hear about is the scribes who are thinking to themselves and saying to themselves, this man's blaspheming. How can he say your sins are forgiven? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, ooh, don't say sins are forgiven anymore. Nobody likes that. No, he knows their thoughts and turns and says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which one's easier? easier? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Just so you know, the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Get up. Go home. Run to the tension. Run to the sounds of the guns, right? Run to it. Maybe you're thinking, there's just not any tension in our church. Le- try to lead them into mission. Tension will come. It's like, my kids, they always do everything I say. Well, just say no and see how quick that, their heads are spinning and stuff's shooting out of their mouth. And like once we try to lead people somewhere, then tension shows up. If all we do is do everything they want, of course there's never going to be tension. The moment you say, guys, we're not doing this anymore. Why? Because we, we think that we've got a better chance of reaching our city if we stop doing that. Now, now there's tension and run to it. Don't, um, don't try to reach lost people based on bad assumptions get to know your city, keep your finger on the pulse of reality. Because otherwise, invariably what you're doing is you're trying to reach the lost people that are presently in your city, imagining the lost people that were around when you got saved. So if you got saved in the Jesus people movement, you think now everyone is still just like they were in 1973, right? And so you're reaching people based on those. If you haven't been out in a while, get out, go out, see your town. Get to know where people are at and what they hang out with. What would it look like to reach them? Dream. Look around your city. Don't rely just on surveys that's great, but also hang out with people and get to know people and find out what they mourn and what they celebrate and what they love and what what they fear. Find those things out. Jesus said, be fishers of men. And that requires that we we, we think about who we're trying to catch and we do things to specifically catch those those people, right? Right? You have to actually know who you're trying to reach. Here's a good field trip for you to do with your, your leadership team or your eldership team. Go to the place in town where everybody loves to go. I was in a, um, a pub yesterday in Plymouth. Um, what's it called again? Fortescue, and I just as soon as I walked in, I was like, yep, this is the place. And man, it was like, everybody knew everybody. They loved it. They didn't want to leave. And I just, I asked one guy playing darts. I was like, hey, is this the best pub in the city? He said, yeah, it is. And I was like, yeah, it is. Like, it was like, man, this place is awesome. Like, find that place in your town and take your leadership team there, right? And don't pass out tracks, get a table. And um, somebody would have done that. And, um, And look around and wonder, what would it be like to reach these people? In fact, what if everybody in this room, we've been praying, come, Lord, send the lost. What if they actually showed up on Sunday? Would that be an a- a- absolute disaster? What would it look like to reach these people? What does this place look like? Is there anything from this place that we could use in our facility to make it feel more like home? Now, I'm not saying you need, like, dartboards and pints on tap and pasties, but I'd come, right? <laughs> For us, it's, you know, it was... It was Certain types of, like, this certain type of wood that gets used in all the, like, restaurants and bars and docks and stuff. We use that in our building and certain colors and metals and things. We were trying to make the building feel somewhat comfortable, right? Don't get sentimental about the wrong things. I think it's what it really means to be a missional church is to be ruthless in your intentionality and your innovation. Ruthless. Very intentional and very innovative. We are a product of missional innovation. I mean, the printed Bible, the chairs, I mean, you've heard this before, the drums, everything. Somebody stepped out on a limb and said, we're going to try something. And now we all take it for granted. But like our generation, what are we trying? What are we passing on to the next generation? Have we also gone and, and done by all possible means that some might be saved? Or have we just been lazy? We're part of the best thing on the planet. No one is equal to such a task. We should be more innovative. We should be more intentional than Apple. And all these companies, I mean, all their, I mean it's like William Carey wrote an article and he said, the only, like, the only thing that motivates these people to go to the heathen and, and face danger and all the rest is that they can make money on beaver pelts. It's like, we have the life-changing gospel and we're not as motivated as these guys about a couple making a couple bucks? We should, man, we're part of the best thing in the world. We should be absolutely innovative, absolutely intentional all the time. Um, answer this question as often as you can with your team and with your church. What would it look like? What are the answers to this question? I don't want to be part of a church that no longer blank. As a leader, what would you say? What would be the answer to that question? Or the answers to that question? I don't want to be part of a church. I don't want to be part of this church anymore if we stop blank. And I want to just tell you, as you work through that question, it should be a very small list. It should be a small little list. If we stop preaching the gospel, if we stop caring about the lost, but the thing is, most of us haven't answered that, and so the list is very long. It's, you know, it's things that don't really matter, like every Wednesday night at a prayer meeting or whatever. It's like we just put stuff on the list of like it's good stuff, but would you leave the church if we stopped doing this, right? So you, you to to answer that question, you, you've got to, You've got to really. You've got to spend. You've got to spend time thinking about what really matters. What's what's not. What's optional, what's not optional? God gave ten commandments. Ten. Just ten. That's a that's that's little, right? I think sometimes we 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 have so many more things that we 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 heap on top of that. We're like the Pharisees, adding laws on laws, you know. Um, we, we get sentimental about the wrong things, and so we stick it on the list. And we say, we would leave this church if this changed. It doesn't matter. We we started off our kids' ministry because we were reaching the surfing culture. Uh, we named it Hang 10. I didn't even name it that. Somebody named it, which is just a surfing move and it just worked. I don't know. It worked for a little while and we named it that and it was, it was so cool that everybody loved it because they're all surfers and we started naming all the different age groups, you know, you know the boogie boards and the you know, short boards and the long boards and all this stuff and um, we got really just like, wow, this is so cool. We made t-shirts and everything and, and then, you know, the church started growing with people who weren't surfers and it was like, um, this the, the 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 question came up a couple of times. Hey, what if we named it Kids Ministry? You know, so people would know what it was when they take their kids somewhere. And I can't tell you how offended myself and a few of us were. We're like, "How dare you? You aren't here when we shed blood for this church and named it Hang Ten." You know, it's like looking back, it's so stupid. It took months. Months to get that out of our hands and go. Okay, we'll call it kids ministry, <laughs> so people know where to take their kids. We got sentimental about the wrong thing. You've probably done that too, if you think about it. There's things we are we don't we are sentimental about when it comes to our kids. We, we we're sentimental about taking them seriously. It's not babysitting. We're we, we're we're sentimental about showing them Jesus is amazing. Right? That's what we want to do. That matters. What do we call it? Who cares? Let's call it whatever makes the most sense for the mission. Right? Just a silly example. You probably got a couple yourself. Create a culture of trying in your church. Create a culture where people are um, expecting you as the leadership team to try new things and experiment with new things because we want to try to reach these people. We're going to try something. We're going to try it for three months. We're going to try it for three weeks. We're going to try it for six months. If it doesn't work, no problem. Right? You create a culture of of trying, which means, you know, it's hard for us charismatics, but we're going to have to say God said less. Because every time you say God said, then like, you're kind of stuck, right? God said, we're going to do Sunday nights at six thirty. Man, it's going to get hard when that doesn't work. And you keep for years convincing everyone God said, you could have just said, we're going to try it out. We tried out a Sunday night service. Thank God I didn't say God said. I said, we're going to try out a Sunday night service. We're going to try it for three months and we'll see how it goes. And three months in, it was a nightmare. I didn't even want to be there. I wanted to fake sick every week, right? Um, and it was 10 or so people that were eventually there at the end. It whittled down from like 120 to 10. And uh, so we grew that thing real well. And um, it, was, uh, it was 10 people. I went around one night. I said, Hey, why are you guys here? And they said, Oh, well, we all go to this other church on Sunday mornings, but we can never leave it. But we love you guys. And I was like, We're done. So I walked up, didn't even consult the elders. Everybody, thank you. Welcome to the last Sunday night service. And uh, God bless you. If you can't go to church on a Sunday morning, we know of other churches who do Sunday night. We'll happily point you to them. They're great. They love Jesus. We'll hang out in heaven. Um, we, we just tried it. Didn't work. Took it on the chin. And that, because we didn't keep perpetuating it and keep trying to, oh, but God said, we just said, hey, you know what it did? Everybody was like, well, cool. We tried it. That was awesome. Glad it's over. Let's try something else. You know, you create that sense of like, we're just going to keep trying new things. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think we've gone pretty good. I think we've done a lot. Um, yeah. Let's do this. Let's um let's break up into some um, groups. Um, and we've got a, a handout that can quickly get passed out to you. Grant's got them. Then we'll get a couple other folks to pass them out. Um, this is just some questions front and back. That um the groups would be um, folks from your church, right? So the guys that you brought, husband and wife, or broader than that, or whatever it is. Um, And just just go through this. I'm not assuming that you haven't thought about this stuff before. Every time we think about this stuff, every time we do this, we we come up with something else, right? Because very quickly we find out that, like, we got sentimental about something we shouldn't have or whatever the case may be. And so what I want you to do is just kind of run through this together quickly, take 10, 15 minutes, and fill this out, thinking about your church. Um, Yeah. Yeah, if you're on your own, join a group, right? We're going to be in heaven for a long time. We might as well try to like each other now, so (laughs) cool. We'll give it 15 minutes, and we'll, we'll call it.